Okay. I think I said welcome, but I don't think I said Merry Christmas. Now I gotta, you have to love this time of year. Lots of people like this time of year for different reasons. Um, oftentimes it has to do with these. What are these right here? Uh, Christmas cards, right? I like Christmas cards, aren't they? Let me ask you as I read these if you see anything missing in these Christmas cards. There's a nice little Japanese house. Seasons, greetings, and best wishes for the new year. Let's try the next one. Seasons, greetings, and warm appreciation of our association. We extend our best wishes for a happy holiday season and a new year filled with peace, joy, and success. You can tell these are from some of my suppliers, huh? A little on the cold side. Wishing you joy in the traditions of the season. Happy holidays. I don't know whose traditions those are, but there's some traditions. Oh, here's good. This one's good. Peace on earth. At the close of another year, we gratefully pause to wish you a warm and happy holiday season. And somehow we can get peace, I guess. This one, I have to show this one with you. This one really cracks me up. Just a couple of ornaments on the front, right? It says this. Dear Charlie, we wish you true, we wish you a truly peaceful holiday and plenty of good ideas in 2012. <laughs> I thought, you know, see, this is from one of my suppliers, right? So plenty, plenty more good ideas means including them and more stuff. Out of about a dozen cards, I got one card, and I, I give it to This is a German-based company who actually said in about four or five different languages, Feliz Navidad, Buon Natal, Merry Christmas. So I got to hand it to him. A peaceful time of Christmas. What was missing in most of those? Yeah. Yeah. There's no Christ in any of them, hardly. The one German company there at the end who will say, Merry Christmas. You want to experience that this year? A lot of happy holidays, a lot of seasons, greetings. Whether it's on the TV or the Internet or at work, it's, it's almost politically incorrect, dangerous, right? There's a couple of people I went up to and said Merry Christmas to. I kind of wondered about my job security for a second, <laughs> you know? I wish I was kidding. I was, I, I'm serious. It's true. What's going on? Why is Christ being removed from Christmas? What's happening there? Well, we're going to look at some of those answers in today's uh, reading. I'm going to discuss some of those reasons why. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. Now, why is this? Why are people trying to take Christ, the true meaning of Christmas, out of this time of year? We're going to see why the reason why it's in the heart of why he came. And that has to do with who you are and who I am and who he is. And it's things people try to avoid. But sorry, we're not going to avoid it today. We're going to look at it. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, 
of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Wow. Now that's an incredible birth announcement. We know something about birth announcements, don't we? We've seen a few of them in our lifetimes, right? What do you normally have in a regular birth announcement? You got, you got a couple of parents, right? And then they, they talk about their child who's been born. And then they talk about the name they picked out for them. And then you get all the stats, right? Weight and length and day and time, right? What do we have different here? Who's doing the announcing? Ask some of the kids. Kids, who's doing the announcing? All kids, here's a good definition of kid. No, normally, who would ever be in kids club? <laughs> kids, who, who, who's doing the announcing here? Happy? An angel. Yeah. It's not the parents. Right? And what about the name? Where's the name coming from? Any of you kids? The name is Jesus. And who picked out that name? Mary? The Lord did. That's right. The Lord picked out the name. Okay? And who's making the announcement? Did I already ask that? Angel, that's right. When is the announcement made? Yeah, not only before she's born, very good, honey, but before she's even pregnant. Wow. Think of that birth announcement. I mean, this is absolutely incredible. Think if you're married. <laughs> Take that in. You, this is just blowing you away. Okay? And there's one other minor detail that seems to be missing in the whole equation. You want to pick up what that is? Daniel? Yeah. Say it again. Yeah, she didn't, she, she didn't have any relations with anyone. It's all by herself. There's no father involved. Wow. What a birth announcement this is. Before the child's born, name's already picked out, delivered by an angel with no father, just a mother. You can see why Mary might be a little bit challenged on this one might be a little bit tough for her and she says how can this be why is it why is this birth announcement so unusual the birth announcement so unusual because there's no one born like this no one ever born even close to this birth 
when we stop and consider what the angel is saying, it's really incredible. Who did the angel call this one? The Holy One. The Son of God. What he is saying is, is that this baby will be different than any other baby who has ever been born. Holy. Holy means separate, means different. And how is this one going to be different from the rest of us? And why is that so important? Well, it all comes down to choices, doesn't it? It all comes down to choices. Choices you've made, choices I've made, bad choices that we've made from the very beginning. We won't, go, we won't cover the whole Bible this morning, but we'll reference it. In the very beginning, God made, he made a whole world. No, he made a whole universe. And he gave it to our parents, our parents, Adam and Eve. We all have the same parents. He gave them a whole world and he did it lovingly. He did it because he wanted a special relationship with them. Gave them a whole world, a particular garden in that world. And said, here, this is all for you. And he even gave them the chance to show their appreciation and their love by giving them something not to do, one thing not to do in a world of things to enjoy. But what happened? They chose the wrong thing, didn't they? They chose poorly. Like us, they chose not to do the right thing. They listened to God's greatest enemy. By the way, he's the one who's behind taking Christ out of Christmas. The last thing he wants to see happen, whether it be here or out in the streets, in your neighborhoods, at your workplaces, at your schools, is for people to be talking about Jesus. See? And his plan is just, it's insidious. It's just so subtle and dangerous. We're going to talk about different parts of that plan. But he's the one who led in this rebellion against God, these bad choices. A whole world to enjoy. God says, I'm going to give you a chance to show your love by obeying this one thing. What's the first thing they do? They go and take that instead. And they listen to God's greatest enemy and choose not to obey God instead. It's really sad to think about. You have to be careful, though. The devil didn't make them do it. That's another way he has his insidious plan is to put in excuses. Oh, well, the devil, I'm, a, I'm normally a good person, see? I wouldn't do something like that. Okay? I wouldn't make that bad choice. Matter of fact, I was in the Garden of Eden. I don't know what they were doing, but I wouldn't have done it. You know what? You would have. Just like Adam and Eve did, so would we. When Adam and Eve sinned, they became sinners, and then it started a plague. It's just called sin. And it's something, it's not just something that you do. It's something that's deep inside each one of us. It's who we are. And it's this disease, it's just this plague inside of us. It's that thing inside you that when given the choice, you choose yourself. 
Has anyone here had to teach a baby how to be selfish? No. Give here, give here, little Johnny. Hand it to me. What? Yeah, we had a good time at the Shapiro's the other night. There's this one kid, he would not let go of the Legos. He'd give you anything else. But you ask him for those set of Legos. Nice little kid, too. He gave you everything else, real giving. Give me those Legos. He'd go. <laughs> so I shook this hand, and I gave him a ball in the other hand, and he went like this. And he tried to grip it with his arm. Right? Why? Because he wasn't letting go of those Legos. You see? We're born with what? The clenched fist. And it's this disease we have. It's called sin. It was started by choices they made, but we made the same choices, and we have made the same choices, haven't we? When given the choice, we've chosen ourselves rather than pleasing God. We'll talk about those choices more in a minute. But you, did you notice something about the birth of Jesus? We talked about it. Very important. We're all born from sinful parents. No offense, Mom. But that's the way it goes. Sinners beget sinners. But how was Jesus born? He's the Son of God. He was born different. If anyone ever thinks that the virgin birth is something that they can give or take on, no, it's not. He had to be different. And we're going to see why later. But it's a good thing he, he is different. He's the son of God. That's important. He's not born like us, not like sinners. He's sinless, perfect, and holy, the son of God. Let's keep reading here. Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was, one of, he, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swallowing cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You see any bad choices? Ask the kids. You see any bad choices in this passage? It's a little, it's a little more subtle, a little harder to find. I'll give you a hint. It's in the last verse. Abby? Okay, she's on to something, but what's the, what's the choice there that was made? She said Jesus is the Christ. He should be born in a stable. Anybody else? Hannah? There was no room in the inn? Why was that, you think? Everyone else already had all the places to stay? Right. So what were the bad what was the bad choice? That's right. That's right. They didn't let them stay. They didn't let them come in, did they? 
Everyone had their place. I don't know what's going on with this guy and his pregnant wife, but she's so pregnant. He, he should have left a lot earlier. This is all his fault. He's late. Sorry. We got ours. We're, we're good. I, I'm sure you figure something out. You see each of the tenant shutting their door. Right? What is that? Selfishness. Think about this moment in time. This has got to be the worst indictment of mankind. One of the worst. God is doing something huge. There's angels popping up all over the place. And what do we see here? A group of people saying, Yep, sorry, no room. You'll have to go somewhere else. Wow. That's selfish, isn't it? Now, we'd like to think I wouldn't turn away a pregnant woman. But you know what? Given the right circumstances, we're just as guilty as they are. We've done things. We've made choices. Just as selfish. Same selfishness, same self-interest. Maybe not exactly the same context. But we make our own bad choices, don't we? I'm going to choose who I want to marry. And I don't care what anyone else says. Certainly not God. Then what happens? Marriage falls apart. Things go bad. And then what do we do? Hey, God, why did you let this happen? Something wrong there, isn't there? Something wrong. But did we ask God who we should marry? It's my money and I'll spend it the way I like. And I'll spend it when I don't have it. And I'll go in tens of thousands of dollars in debt. God, why did you let this happen? But did we ask God how we would spend the money? His money he gave us? There's other things. We drink, we do drugs, premarital sex. The list goes on and on. These things, we make our choices. And they ruin our lives. And too oftentimes we blame God for our bad choices. And again, this is the insidious plan that's behind the scenes. Your worst enemy is not the one you see. It's the one you can't see. Satan's pulling the strings on this. And how he must enjoy. He got the whole thing started. Keeps it encouraged. And don't worry. We're, we're sinful enough in and of ourselves. We keep it going. And how he must just laugh. How he must enjoy when we blame God for our bad choices. And he has another plan too. And this is one of the trickiest ones of all. He wants to convince you, you're really not that bad. You know what? The choices really aren't that bad. If they are bad, they're God's fault. Don't worry about it. When you die and you stand before God, he's going to say, it's okay. Come on in. You won't really die. You know, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. From the very beginning, God has been saying, the soul who sins shall die. Do not take of the tree of that guard, of the, of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not take of it. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The soul who sins shall die. God's the one who's putting up the warnings. The proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Satan wants to lull you into sleep. If I could tell you anything this morning, I want to tell you that. God is serious. 
What he says, he means. You will die because of your sin. It is bad. Let's turn to, keep your fingers there in Luke. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. I'd like to read from there, what does God call sin? Or what is sin in God's eyes? What are these bad choices that we make and what's his response to them? So we try to forget about God. We have. I remember my life, I wanted to push God out of my thoughts as much as possible. And when we try to push God away, this is what happens in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Excuse me, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Can you see yourself on that list? This is a list of what God calls sin. He puts the sins of the mind, envy and greed. He puts it alongside the outward actions of gossiping and backbiting. He puts what seems to be lesser sins of being unloving and disobedient to parents. He puts it right next to where? Sexual immorality and murder. So can you see yourself in this list? You want to say, this is not me. This is for really bad people. You don't know, I'm I'm really a good person. But this list is for you. Again, to think that it's not, it's a lie from the pit. It really is. From the beginning, Satan has tried to tell people, you will not die. Here's what God says in the next verse. About us who fit in this list. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You know, we hate seeing guilty people go free, don't we? When there's a convicted person, a convicted criminal, we want to see him punished, don't we? We want to see justice done. But you know what this verse is saying here? We're on the other side of that judgment. We're the guilty ones. We're the ones who have broken God's law. And it says we know the judgment's coming. And in our heart of hearts, we know it, don't we? We fear God. We fear that that judgment's coming. It says deserving of death. There it is again. It's the only payment. 
for sins. Death. It's the only, only punishment that can be meted out. Death. Separation from God. Ultimately, it's separation forever. In a place completely devoid. You know what you're enjoying every day? As you walk outside, and I tell you, in California, we get a lot of it. You walk outside and you enjoy a beautiful day, a little bit cold, but clear and beautiful and blue skies. You're enjoying God's blessings. Your sense of well-being, your health, you're feeling good right now. It's all a blessing from God. You know what hell is? It's when he takes away all his blessing. And he didn't create hell for you and me. He created hell for the devil and his angels. But we have to ask ourselves this morning, what side of that are we on? The Bible tells us here that we deserve the judgment of God. Do you believe it? Do you believe what the Bible says? Do you believe as you sit here right now, I remember the first time that hit me, I went, wow. Actually, I'd already started the, studied the Bible for a while. I'd already started going to church, and it hit me. Lord, I don't know if I ever really realized I deserve to go to hell. But I realize it now. Right now, I know I do. Not because I feel it, but you know why? Because God said it. And more important than my feelings is God's word. My feelings come and go. God's word stays the same. I was convinced of what God said. Well, until you're convinced of that, the rest of the story won't make much sense to you. You might have heard the Christmas story dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. But it hasn't really affected you. You know there's something more there but you say Merry Christmas and then you go on to the New Year's and you just forget about it. It's because you've never really been convinced by God how much you need the Holy One, the Son of God to be born for you. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you have Christian parents. Maybe you grew up hearing this. This is the biggest thing I can tell you this morning. Be convinced that you're, you're guilty before God. And then the story has a life-changing effect on you. Let's continue to read. Verse 8. Uh, back to Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which, which, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
Do you know that's how you can tell when God's doing something special? When he's really moving on the earth and something's happening, what's, what goes on? You just all these angels start popping up all over the place, right? They're moving. God's moving. And they just start moving. He's got them doing things. An angel's going to Gabriel. There's been other angels in other places. We've got a bunch of angels right here. God's doing something special. And when, they, and when the Bible talks about angels, let me ask some of you kids, what do you think these angels look like? You think, you think they look like little puffy little infant little ones with little bows and arrows in their, in their hand? Like little babies? You think that's what they look like? No? No? How about the ones with long flowing gowns and long curly hair, kind of effeminate looking? No, kids? No? I'd be thinking, oh, maybe. They don't know exactly what they look like. But every time they show up, what's one of the first things they say? Why do you think they say that? They're amazing to look at. I, that's, you know, I don't have that in my notes. I, I wish I would have asked you earlier. I like that. They're amazing. That's right. Real angels are incredible, ominous creatures. They come from the presence of a holy God. And they're coming with a specific purpose from God himself, usually to communicate a message. These are creatures who, one of them, killed 185,000 of the enemy in one night. Careful, when Jesus said, my father could send 12 legions of angels, you take 12 legions times 185,000, you just wiped out the whole world. Those are angels. That's the angels we're talking about. Those other puffy other things, you find those in the Hallmark stores, and that's about it. Okay? There was a real angel standing right here, right now. We'd all be scared, and I'd be the first one to be scared. That's a real angel. Okay? But they have a story. They have a message to bring. And what is the message that they have about Jesus being born? He's being born for a special reason. For there is born to you this day in the city of David. Wow. You know what? That's a special thing for an angel to say that. Angels are fallen. A third of them left. They followed Satan too. They're not the only ones who made bad choices. But did you know Jesus didn't come for angels? That's it. They're fallen. They're done. They have no recourse. They have no one to help them. But born to you. To these shepherds and for me is who? A savior. Wow. Those are sweet words. Sweet words. Born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah. The Jewish Messiah foretold long ago in the Old Testament and the Lord. We'll talk more about that later. First of all, do we need a Savior? Yeah, Yeah, we do. Amen. You look at that list, and you look at who we are and what we deserve, we need a Savior. You look at that list, and you go, Lord, I'm in trouble. I need help. Very important verse from the Bible. You've got to learn this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You need to fear the Lord. Why? Jesus says, don't worry about those who can hurt your body. Fear him who can, after you die, can take both body and soul and throw it into hell. I say to you, fear him. 
Don't, don't get me wrong. God does not delight in doing that to anybody. But he has to for all those who will not wake up. And again, the, the insidious lies are this. Satan wants you to think you're not that bad. And don't worry, you won't die. Okay? And whatever you do, don't think this about yourself. Don't think that you're bad enough to go to hell. So you have to pick. Do I believe God? Or do I want to feel better about myself? We have to realize we're an enemy. This insidious plan. It's a great plan for war- warfare. I know, I think it was either Mike or Dave or someone studied, war- studied warfare. And, and just you look at the different warring sides. How about a better warfare than this? You don't even know you're on the enemy's side. He has you convinced you're on the right side. I tried to think of an illustration to, to, to bring this out. I couldn't really find a very good one. I thought about 20th century Europe, say in the first half. You're growing up in a European country. You've been born, you're raised in a European country. And you hear that there's this war going on. You're not really sure if there's a war going on or not, but you're not too worried about it. You hear about it, you say, okay, I'll support the war effort, and you do your part. But what you don't realize is you don't live in France. You don't live in England. You're living in Germany. You're on the wrong side. And you don't even know it. You thought, but I'm fine. Yeah, from your reference frame, you're fine. God is telling you, you're on the wrong side. It says this from his word. It says, and you are alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Well, it's just in my mind. Is that a big deal? <laughs> you tell me. Jesus said, you've heard it's bad to murder. I say if you have anger inside, you've committed murder already. You've heard it's bad to commit adultery. But if you had lust in your heart, then you've already done it. You've already offended me. You're already on the enemy's side. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Thankfully, we have here what the angel said to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me ask you a question. In that war illustration... When you're at war with somebody, you need to win, right? And to win, you have to defeat the other side. To defeat the other side, you usually have to destroy him. Because you're going to win the war. Let me ask you a question. If you're at war with somebody, is the first thing in your mind to send them a terms of peace? Especially when they're not asking for it. No, we're at war. It's me against you, and I'm going to win, and you're going to lose. I don't want to make peace with you. I'm going to destroy you. That's how we make war. 
But the difference in our being an enemy of God, first of all, usually in a war, both parties have done something wrong. In this war, God's done nothing wrong. We've done everything wrong. We're the ones who should have pursued peace. And God says, here, I'm going to send you terms of peace. And it's in my son. I want you to have peace with me through my son. That's what these angels are singing about, all about. They explode in the sky. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. This is what God's offering. Most people want to stay away from God. Keep him at a distance. This is what God's offering. Look, I want to give you peace that you've never had before. You'll have peace with me. You'll have peace about dying. You'll have peace going through life. Peace will be based in a relationship with him. This is what the angels are singing about. God's offering a way of escape from punishment. Punishment we so richly deserve. And how is he doing that? We're the ones who have sinned. We're the unholy ones. What does he do? He sends his terms of peace. The holy one. And here's what he says. I will take him who's holy and I will make him a sacrifice. A substitute for you. You deserve my punishment but I'm going to give you my son instead. I will take the punishment you deserve and I'll put it on him. And I will give you, instead of punishment, you get forgiveness. Instead of being unholy, you get righteousness. Everything we need for peace with God is found in Jesus. It's based on Everything he's done and nothing we can have or will ever do. It's all about Jesus. So just ask yourself this morning. Have you ever realized you're on the wrong side of the war? Because if you never realized it, that means you still are. You're still tricked. You're still an enemy of God. It says that... About Satan, he has the whole world lying in his sway. Reminds me of a mother with a child just saying, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Everything will be okay. But it's in the worst possible way. Because everything isn't okay. God wants you to wake up and realize, yeah, you are an enemy. Because there's only two types of people. People who don't know that they're on the enemy side and people who have known that they're on the enemy side. And turn from it. There's only two people in the world. If you haven't realized you're in rebellion against God, then you're not agreeing with him. He says you're an enemy. If you don't agree with him, what are you saying about God? God, I don't agree with you. God, you're lying. And think about it. Who are those who need a savior? Only those who are in danger. Who are those who need terms of peace? Only those who are at war. Jesus said it another way. Who goes to the doctor but those who are sick? Have you realized before that you are that sick that you need a Savior? You need someone to save you from your sins?
So let's look what the shepherds do about this news that they're given in Luke chapter 2, verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. You know, I really like these shepherds. They're just honest Joes, right? They're just out there doing their job, making a living. It's dark. It's nighttime. They're watching the sheep. The sheep are good. They're good. You know, humble, doing a humble job. You know, that's how God works. Herod in Jerusalem didn't get this announcement. Caesar in Rome had no idea what was going on. The biggest event in all of history up to this point. And who gets the announcement? Some shepherds watching some sheep. The Lord has a special place in his heart for shepherds. He has a special place in his heart for the humble. You know, the rich might be able to afford Handel's Messiah being heard by a great choir. They're not going to get this announcement. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. These humble shepherds receive this announcement. And they did the best thing they could have. What did they do? They got up and did something about it. They went and checked it out. They said, wow, look what the Lord has shown us. We need to do something about it. We need to get moving. What about the sheep? Are we going to find the right place? What are we going to do when we get there? I don't think they thought of those questions. The Lord was speaking to them and they started moving. God gives God glory. When the Lord speaks to you and you do something about it, what does that show him? It shows you believe him. It shows that what he says is important to you. It makes you move and do something. You know, I want to thank each one of you who are here this morning because there's plenty of things people can do on a Sunday morning, especially on a Christmas Sunday morning. But I'm glad you wanted to come hear something about the Lord Jesus at church on Christmas Day. I can't think of a better place to be myself. I want to tell you, I appreciate y'all doing like the shepherds did and coming to hear about more about the Lord. But now for me to hear, you've been challenged to realize something about yourself. Are you that enemy, that sinner? Or are you still fighting? God trying to tell you this. Maybe you realize that you are. Maybe today's the first day you realize, you know what? I am that enemy. I am the one who's on the other side of the war. And I've been deceiving myself this whole time. Do something about it. Don't wait. Your heart gets hard when God speaks to you and you don't do something about it. It's not good. Maybe I said a bunch of things this morning. It's the first time you've ever heard anything like this. Do something about it. Get into a Bible study. Ask someone. Love to tell you more. Whatever you do, do something. Don't do nothing about it. 
quick story. Gene Gibson and I, an old, old preacher, were coming in from lunch. We were walking from lunch to a deserted church. No one was there but the, the church secretaries. And uh, we were talking about this concept. When God speaks to you, do something about it. And we were starting to open the door and walk up the steps. I said, yeah, it reminds me of my old football coach. He would say, I don't care. Hit somebody. I don't care if he's got on your team or on the other team. Just hit somebody. And Gene says, yeah, that's right. Just hit somebody. Do something, you know. Don't just sit there. Do something. And we were coming up the steps, and the church secretary thought there was a fight in the parking lot. <laughs> and Gene and I were kind of riled up about wanting to do something for the Lord. I said, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine, ladies. Make the Lord your top priority. You know what? If you make the Lord your top priority, you will not be disappointed. Who are you going to find? You're going to find not only the Son of God, you're going to find God the Son. The second person of the Trinity came and was here as a fully God and fully man. He was perfect, sinless. Even his enemies said, no one taught like this guy. He could look at him and says, which of you can convince me of sin? Nobody could do anything. You will see that he's the lamb, the substitute lamb for you. You will see that when he died, he rose again, victorious over sin of death, the firstborn from the dead. And that he has power to give life. And that as an enemy, when you turn from me an enemy and you come to him, instead of second death, what do you get? You get a second life. You get a new life now. And after you die, you have forever with him based on who he is and what he's done. And you're going to see he's coming again and he's not going to be a little baby. He's coming again as a conquering king, as a one who will rule. So we're going to close with one short passage in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. 
And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, well, what would a Christmas story be without a few wise men, huh? Real quick questions for the kids. How many wise men were there? Raise your hand if you know how many wise men there were. How many wise men were there, Caleb? Three. There were three. Don't you think, Caleb? Three. Hannah, three. Okay, we're going to get the older kids. Christine? Oh, it doesn't say, does it? doesn't say how many wise men there were. More than two. Very good. I'm trying to think, how'd you get more than two? More than one. Okay, I'm good with you on that. Nan versus me, I'm good with more than one. She had me. She had me thinking there for a second. There's more than one. That's right. We always say that there's three. Why? Because there were three gifts. But we don't know how many there were. Okay? When did the wise men show up? Hannah? That's very good. That's very good. Here she said, after they already got a house, it took a while, and after the shepherds. That's very good. If you ever come to our house, we got a little major scene inside the house, we get, we get the wise men, they're up by the stairs or something. They're still in route, okay? They're not there yet, which is a very good point, Hannah. It says it right here. It says, when they came into the house, no longer in the barn, God took care of them, and they're in a house. Very good. Let me ask you about these wise men. God says this, when you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Do you think these wise men were seeking for Jesus with all their heart? How long had they been en route? Could have been a year or up to two. Okay, that's a long time. They show up at Jerusalem and they say, where else would a king be born? King of the Jews, let's go to Jerusalem. We kind of can't find the star. Let's go ask what's going on in Jerusalem. These guys wanted to come near to Jesus. They were getting up and doing something about it. And they get to Jerusalem where the king of the Jews should be. And when they ask the current king, what is his response? What do you mean? Who's born king of the Jews? I'm king of the Jews. You see? And him and all Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem troubled? Now, I can understand him. He doesn't want to get dethroned. But why the rest of Jerusalem? Because you know what? When you live under a corrupt king, what do you become like? Corrupt. All of Jerusalem was troubled because they knew if the Messiah was coming, he was coming to do what? He was going to straighten things out. And besides the need to see that we're an enemy of God and we have to be convinced of that, this is the other side of it. We need to realize when Jesus comes, if he's going to come into our life, he's not going to play second fiddle. He does want to be the Lord in our lives. They knew it. They were troubled. And they said, uh, what do you mean? So they sent the wise men away. Did you notice it wasn't a secret? Everyone knew where the Messiah was going to be born. How many from Jerusalem got up with these wise men from the east, probably not even Jewish, to go worship the Lord? Very few. Don't be surprised when you go to get up 
and really seek the Lord, not very many people go with you, if any. Herod used these wise men to try to destroy the Lord. It didn't work out. He had every male child, two years old and younger, killed in that area by the time determined by the wise men. But what did the wise men do when they, when they get there? They worshipped him. Notice they didn't worship Mary, and rightfully so. They worshipped Jesus, and rightfully so. I'm going to ask you this morning, which of these two groups are you in? Are you troubled that Jesus is king, that he is Lord, that as the one who came to bear your sins, he deserves first place in your life? He wants to take you from being an enemy to being on his side. And that he wants to be the Lord of your life. You have two choices, like Jerusalem and Herod did, and these wise men. You can be troubled and fight, or you could submit and worship. Ask yourself this morning, which side are you on? Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are. Uh, the center of Christmas. Lord, we don't know what day you were born on, but Lord, we are so glad to know that you did come. And Lord, we stop and think of who we are and what we deserve. We think of the bad choices in our lives, the sin we've let blind us and ruin our lives. Lord, we want to thank you that you would come anyway. Why would the Holy One, the Son of God, come to this place, a place that gave you nothing but a barn and a cattle trough, a homeless uh, preaching schedule and a cross to be crucified on. Lord, we thank you that you came anyway, that though we are enemies of God, you wouldn't leave it that way. You're the one who could say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Lord, we thank you that you would do this. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has not realized that they are on the wrong side, that they would realize it today, that the true meaning of Christmas, a Savior being born to them, would be realized in their hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray for all those who understand this part of the story, that they would be willingly bowing the knee to you, pursuing you in holiness. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and coming to die. Thank you in your name. Amen.